Compliance is a profession where people work tirelessly to make the world a better place. And there are hundreds of amazing and inspiring women who have helped the field develop into what it is today. Great Women in Compliance is part of the Compliance Podcast Network. So join Mary Shirley and Lisa Fine as they talk with women in compliance who are making a difference. You're listening to the Great Women in Compliance Podcast. This is the last podcast of the year. And as you all know, it's been quite a year, both professionally and personally, for the GWIC team. When I started thinking about this episode, I wanted something particularly meaningful and decided that it was a time to interview the first GWIC that I met and my first compliance friend. So with that in mind, I'm Lisa Fine, and today I'm interviewing Mary Shirley, who is my co-host on the Great Women in Compliance podcast. You all know Mary through her podcast, her writing, her presence in the ENC community and just being a wonderful person, but we generally hear her views through her interviews with other people. So here is a chance to hear from her as a guest. So with that, Mary, thank you for being here with me in this type of unusual episode, and thank you for everything you've done this year for me and for the GWIC community. Um, Thank you, Lisa. I actually had tingles when you were um, doing that introduction there. It was so very kind and generous of you, and I'm, I'm so grateful to have you as a friend and a colleague, um, especially as we've gone through a a particularly hard year. Thank you for all that you've done for me and for the compliance community. And just so you all know, this and one other part of this interview, which she did not know about, so that was a complete surprise to Mary as well. And with that, we're going to start in the substance. So uh, Mary, we've talked about your background as a global traveler before, but you've just started a new role at Presenius. You're the head of culture and integrity and compliance education. Can you talk about your new role, what it entails, how it happened, what it means to you? Absolutely. Thank you for asking about that, Lisa. So um, one thing I would mention is that I still am seconded to our legal department for half of the time working on our monitorship. And I have to say it has been one of the most totally fulfilling from a professional standpoint um, opportunities that I've ever had. I love pretty much every second of being on the monitor liaison team and um, helping to facilitate our company go through that process. On the compliance side, as you mentioned, I've just started a new role and it's one that I'm very excited about because a lot of companies, I think, um, do culture of integrity initiatives uh, on a somewhat of an ad hoc basis. And so to have my company say, yep, we're willing to dedicate a function to it and a team to culture of integrity uh, was really just so exciting. Um, And I I think in some respects, it's something that we don't typically see. So it's also a great opportunity to to do something new, hopefully um, work on some things that I can share with other companies where we've had success stories. And as always, lessons learned where things have been a disaster, but I hope there's not too many of those situations. And essentially, if anyone's wondering, the culture of integrity aspect does not mean that I own integrity at the company or that I'm responsible for it. Uh, The role focuses on the promotion and the measurement of um, culture of integrity. And we see that mentioned in the Department of Justice guidance. Um, And I haven't really seen a whole lot of um, a sort of a structured or a methodical program around this particular area. So, I'm keen to get into it, uh, but first and foremost, I've got some training work um, to prepare. So finishing off the specialized trainings for uh, 2020 is what my team has been working on. And I'm starting work with colleagues on 
preparing for 2021 training as well. So essentially the role boils down to promotion and measurement of um, our culture of integrity, as well as training and communications. Well, as part of that, when you were talking before about lessons learned from potential issues or disasters, you know, I think most of us say never waste a good crisis. So, um, you know, (laughs) go ahead. I I was thinking more about like my own man-made crisis. (laughs) (laughs) Human error screwing things up from a process standpoint or having what sounds like a great idea and then it not working and sort of flopping um, on on the culture of integrity side as we try to build that program. Um, I think, well, I'm hopeful that it's going to be more of that type of crisis than a than a bribery yeah. scandal or something that would be disastrous for sure. Um, yeah, so fingers crossed. I'm pretty confident that that it'll be well prepared and, and well done on that. <laughs> Thank you. The other the other thing that I, I I really think is interesting about that, and as you talk about your role, um, mm. also having this dual role, with, mm. um, is that you really are getting from from experience with the monitorship. You really are getting some some solid skills and lear- learning about that process in a way you can mm-hmm. help use that to build going forward. Um, mm. It seems very much like a sort of a, crea- a creative and innovative way that Presenius is, is using you and utilizing these skill sets to build the company. And I think that's really interesting, you know, in a time where, you know, a lot of companies are trying to be as consistent in certain ways as, pos- as yeah. possible. I think it's a really innovative and fantastic experience or, you know, way to do things. Yeah, I would say, I I would guess at least it's not a conventional and it's certainly not the norm for us. And I feel incredibly privileged to to be almost the special person. You know, we we try to keep legal and compliance as independent functions. Um, And I think this role does that. Uh, From time to time, there is scope for a, a conflict to potentially come up. Um, and, and of course, we have to manage that accordingly. But for the most part, a lot of the monitorship, of course, is um, compliance-related subject matter. So it's awesome to be able to, to draw on what's happening in the compliance function um, within the, the monitorship work. Um, but I, I've just been so grateful to the company for giving me this opportunity in the first place. And um, I I never thought of it from the perspective that you mentioned that, oh, it's great for consistency for the company. All I've thought of it was, man, I feel so lucky that I got, (laughs) you know, I get to do what I love on the compliance side. And there's this awesome experience that not everyone gets to have um, on the legal side that I'm I'm, um, able to work on as well. So I feel incredibly fortunate to be constantly um, doing work that I love. But of course, um, it's it's quite high pressure work as well. So there's a lot of work and um, that aspect can be tiring. So when it gets you down, when the exhaustion gets to you, I just try to think back of, man, this is a fantastic opportunity and aren't I so lucky? Well, they are also lucky to have you. Now let's just turn over, <laughs> looking back on 2020, it's, it's been a lot is the best way. I mean, I saw something somewhere recently that said, Please stop using the word unprecedented, but it, it was. I know from, yeah. uh, you know, professional, personal professional, we've both been really excited about the podcast and, and the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that in mind, for you, what do you see as sort of the biggest accomplishment from this past year? Oh, that's a great question. I think for me has been um, the the company accepting the, the position in the team to come and have introducing a culture of integrity team into our compliance function 
I think that's a wonderful accomplishment um, and, you know, really showing um, being a, a trendsetter in some areas and um, potentially even starting up best practices. So I feel like that was a wonderful accomplishment um, that the, the company was um, listening and that they thought it was worthy of um, putting into practice. Okay. What do you see as the biggest challenge that you had in this past year? So I don't have a, a simple answer to this question. I had three major challenges, um, which I'll put to you for perhaps adjudication on what was the worst, Lisa. Um, so I've, I've obviously had the FCPA monitorship and the pandemic, um, as everyone else has had in the background. And I had three major challenges, which thankfully did not occur all at the same time. I think um, uh, many of our listeners already know about um, the fact that I had to um, leave the US at quite short notice because my visa was expiring in the middle of the pandemic. And even though I, I look back now and everything's turned out fine, that was incredibly harrowing. Um, I had no idea whether I was going to you know, be able to even pack up my apartment and leave. And um, I, I remember at the time, Christy Grant Hart, bless her heart, she said, um, you know, don't be stressed, don't be worried, we can always go and, and help and, and pick up your stuff for you, you know, just just hang in there and, and not to worry. And that was a, an awful load off um, to, to know that there were people still on the ground that would have helped me if I'd needed it. But thankfully, it didn't come to that. And um, uh, throughout the middle of the year, um, I had uh, quite awful financial um, news, the apartment that I have in New Zealand, um, uh, it became retrospectively out of compliance after the earthquake in Christchurch in 2011. New Zealand reviewed its um, um, earthquake strength standards and um, suddenly my uh, little apartment, which used to be in compliance, now wasn't. And the, the cost of repairs, I believe, is averaging somewhere around 90% of the value um, of, of people's homes to, to get them strengthened. And we had a similar crisis in New Zealand several years ago, which I also was a victim of, um, which was called the leaky home um, or leaky buildings crisis, where many of the um, properties that were built in New Zealand were made to sort of Mediterranean housing standards. And we just had completely <laughs> different weather. <laughs> so we were, you know, very happy thinking our, and our buildings look fantastic. Unfortunately, they weren't weather tight. So um, the buildings, whenever there was water ingress, they would start rotting from the outside. And that was horrifically expensive to remediate. So anyway, that was a 2020 challenge, but I, I just mention it because it's something that not many other countries yeah. have had to deal with. Um, and so after, after finding out that shocking news, um, just a, a few weeks ago now, uh, I was sitting at home um, and the fire alarms went off in my building and I just ignored them for some time, you know, in a, a big apartment building, someone's just... That's not very it. compliant of you. Well, you know, usually someone's just, um, because our fire alarms are very sensitive, like mm -hmm. I was cooking bacon one time and I hadn't even burnt it and my alarm started going off and I just thought, good grief. So usually I give it like a minute or two. And to be fair to me from a compliance standpoint, the lady does say on the intercom, um, you know, please wait, you know, for notification or confirmation that this really is an emergency. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I decided oh, this, this time it, it's, it, it's not, it's not stopping. So I better, I better head out. And when I opened my doors, um, there was sort of water coming towards me. Uh, I couldn't smell any smoke, but water came. And I thought, mm, this probably is an emergency. So I threw like three towels down behind me as I left um, and uh, waited for the fire engines and everything to come. And long story short, it transpired that the apartment across the hall had caught fire 
Um, it wasn't, it, there was no one in it um, at the time. So it's curious. Um, and uh, the, what I presume was flooding from the sprinkler system plus the fireman's hoses and then just soot um, encased sort of 80% of the floor area of my apartment. And I do tend to keep a lot of stuff sort of in storage, um, like in the walk-in closets and stuff. So I was displaced for about 10 days recently um, and living out of hotels and just the cleanup continues. It was horrific. So I put to you, I don't know what was the worst out of that. <laughs> well, I mean, I think that, the, that that you we could put them in a general category of, you know, home-related challenges. I know. I, I was I've got to stop. I mean, and it, it didn't, whether I'm landlord or tenant, I was hit. <laughs> Pretty much, matter, yeah. didn't matter which role I played. Both of them were problematic. So, um, yeah. So, a time where you need to be at home so much during COVID. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, and I just thought, thank goodness this didn't happen during lockdown. I mean, how would I have been trying to get to hotels and things like that? Um, in the middle of a proper lockdown. So I was grateful at least that it didn't happen then or perhaps when I was in New Zealand still and, you know, not here to clean it up while yeah. stuff sort of rotted and things. I don't know. But anyway, um, uh, it's, I, I think it's been a unique year in that respect. Um, three major challenges that caused a lot of stress. And um, I know that the, the dawn of 2020 doesn't suddenly make everything in the world right, but I will say I'm looking forward to new beginnings yeah and I guess with that in mind a favorite memory of 2020 oh oh my gosh it has to be the book coming out um (laughs) for for me at least I mean you've probably got Rocky to choose from as well um Lisa's sweet wee dog he's the cutest thing um so for me it was the book in the absence of a Rocky um uh Rocky does have a very dedicated aunt in you so it kind of all is together (laughs) Yeah, if I can take joy from from Rocky's arrival as well. Mm. Um, so with, with my true claim to not really being um, a Rocky parent uh, would be the the release of the book coming out. And um, I think I've said it before on the show, just the having something to, to work on during the pandemic was some kind of source of normality and a goal um, that I was really grateful for. Yeah, I mean, it is a favorite memory of mine as well. I mean, it it was such a great experience and journey. Um, so that's it. Now, now, as I was going to say, you're in the process of developing your 2021 plan, but since I know you, I'm pretty sure you've already finished it. Um, so what I wanted to know from a compliance standpoint, particularly or ethics standpoint, is you know, given everything we went through in 2020, have you changed mm-hmm. your focus for your priorities, your training, other things? And, and do you think that it should be changing our focus at all? I think yes, it probably should be. Um, one of the things that I'm um, that, that's informing the way that I approach my my training plan in particular is actually is being under the monitorship, monitorship and, and satisfying um, any of the monitor recommendations in that respect. So, um, in terms of overarching information, I think one of the things that I'm quite conscious of is Zoom fatigue, and um, you know that's. I guess that's uh, being used in two ways, fatigue and the fact that everyone's kind of over it. Um, But secondly, in that, um, you know, too much video conferencing is literally exhausting uh, for people. So um, thinking about the the forums in which to supply information and not cause compliance fatigue uh, is also something that I'm factoring in. And um, one of the things that I'm super excited about 
is um, incorporating data analytics into our code of conduct training for 2021. So those are a few things that um, are my priorities at the moment. And um, I, I think your compliance plan should be a living document. So as time goes on, when we enter the year of 2021 and circumstances change, new things crop up, I'll be hopefully um, adjusting and adapting um, my plan as time goes on. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Not just with the Zoom fatigue, but for me thinking a lot about investigation mm -hmm. is just continuing the Zoom fatigue and the video for that, while at the same time, the issues that I really do believe are going to be raised over the next six to 12 months will change, both when there is some type of return to work, who's returning, what, what's returning. And, you know, my, my, my concern is, you know, with, with all these changes, this is often a time that people can, you know, get a little blurry around the edges, especially with all the business pressure. So, there's always yeah. that there, but how do you think about that? Make sure you yeah. recognize it. Yeah, and I think there's going to be so much stuff that just crops up and we think, gosh, that makes sense um, when it does, but you haven't had the opportunity to give it a um, forethought because it's unprecedented. <laughs> so, um, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about is, you know, um, in different jurisdictions are, um, are we going to be able to, put rules around having um, our people be vaccinated, should we or should we not? Um, you know, curbing talk about um, people's health information. If someone does have COVID, um, you know, how, how are you controlling that information if it comes into the workplace? Um, all of these new types of queries and um, Concerns that we've never really had to deal with before, or at least I don't think I have in, in a even analogous context, I think is going to be truly fascinating. And that hits again on the, um, not necessarily some of our core subject matters as compliance officers, but when it starts hitting the ethics and reputational standpoint, um, we will get drawn in, I believe. So um, for the compliance officer, a lot to think about, and yet you can only be so prepared in a situation that we've never faced before. Pretty much sounds like 2020 in a nutshell. <laughs> <laughs> so with that, I, you know, for those of you, again, I said this a minute ago, but she is one of the most prepared people I know for any project. So I decided that for, for a change of pace here, we're doing this lightning round, uh, which would mm -hmm. be asking Mary a few questions that she knows the first one, but not the rest, just to uh, ask about that. Mm -hmm. This gives me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> <laughs> we had to do something different on this, so yeah, I feel um, so unsettled. All right. Well, the first is favorite hotel. Yeah. Um, so this is at least I don't know if you know this about me. Um, I am the administrator of like a, a Facebook group for um, their uh, like high level loyalty members of their program. Right. Um, so I'm quite quite vested in, um, in in hotels and seeing other people's reviews on them and, and experiences. And one of the, I think, characteristics of liking the adventure in, in different hotels, was liking the adventure and staying in hotels is that I try to stay at different places at different times. And even when I was displaced for the like uh, 10 days recently, I stayed at nine different hotels to, to try and make a bit of an adventure out of it. So it's really difficult to, to, to think of favorite in terms of a place where, you know, I always will go back to uh, and things like that. But I will mention when I first moved to Boston, I stayed at a, a place, um, the Element Lexington, um, which is a, uh, a long stay sort of basic place. And there was a 
really lovely shuttle driver, Billy, um, who would take me to and from the office. And we've stayed in touch. Uh, so it was three years ago that I first sort of lived at that hotel and uh, they treated me so well. And um, I'm really pleased to now call Billy a friend. And whenever I need to be close to the office, which has not been for quite some time now, um, I will happily go back to the Element Lexington. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so what's the thing that you miss most about New Zealand? Mm. I'm drawn, I'm sort of torn between the people and the food. Um, the correct answer really should be the people. Um, however, uh, I was going to exclude family and friends. So oh, I could good, get yeah. a more or less bad. Well, I was going to, the, the thing with that though, is that, you know, technology has meant that I don't, you know, I don't miss out completely. So in terms of things that I really just can't get a hold of or, or really miss um, would be uh, food. And then um, there's one thing, I guess it's kind of tiny, but um, in New Zealand with our data privacy law, it's it's not legal to send people unsolicited um, sort of advertising and, you know, signing them up to newsletters and things. I so miss that. I feel like every day someone without my consent has signed me up to their darn newsletter that I don't want to read and I don't want plugging up my inbox. I, I miss, I, I miss that. <laughs> <laughs> I miss it too. And I've never lived in New Zealand. You've never had it. <laughs> I've never had it. So, you know, as you've now lived in the U.S. for a few years, um, what is one of the strangest things that you've seen since you got here and just realized it might be quintessentially American or just one of those moments where it just seemed so off to you, but kind of normal to all the other Americans around you? Oh my goodness. I could probably fill a book with this. Um, and I've seen articles on it where people have, you know, collected up things that are normal in America. Um, so typical things would be um, a lot of people don't have um, a, a, a jug, like an electric kettle, uh, which is very typical. Um, and, and for those of us who are, you know, particularly tea drinking countries, you know, you boil a jug of hot water and throughout the day kind of thing. So Americans uh, are not thought to have those, although not about, a lot of our listeners will be sitting here right now going, ha, Mary, I do, I do have one of those, um, as I found out from some of my colleagues who, who do. But that's one of the things that struck me, sort of heating water in the microwave. Oh, yuck. Um, it's just foreign. Not saying anything on that one. A little bit of both. <laughs> Um, uh, and, um, you know, forgive me if you are, if you're heating your water in a, a microwave, but please perhaps think about for the holidays, getting yourself an electric jug <laughs> and your life. Um, there's honestly, Lisa, there are just so many, occasionally there are words and things that people use. Like when I say I want to table something, it means I want to put it on the agenda. When Americans say that, it means they want to put it off to the side. So there's right. been uh, miscommunication. <laughs> Uh, and our, our compliance department early on. Um, I remember I was just going to say when Fernanda Baraldi said she's talked to somebody talked about. It's like I know you're going to hit it out of the park, and in her mind that was bad. So. <laughs> yeah, like a foul ball of sorts. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So occasionally, and, the, and you know, because I come from a, a country where English is my first language, you you don't naturally necessarily expect that to be the case, mm -hmm. but it happens quite a lot, uh, I think. And then people pick up on terms. So like the concierge in my building, she, she stopped me the other day and she said, you know what, I've started using the word letterbox. And I looked at her dumbly 
And because it took me a minute, I hadn't even realized this. Americans, you guys say mailboxes. And yeah. so now she, you know, if someone's lost something, she'd be like, oh, did you check the letterbox? Um, and <laughs> they know what she means. Car park is the same thing. You guys say parking lot, we say car park. Those are the little things. Um, um, I might have to do a little article on this Sunday. I'm not sure if there's a compliance bend to it, but there are so many things and um, they're not all coming to mind for me right now, which is um, making me nervous because <laughs> the lack of preparation and not being able to give you an See? answer. See, oh, no, but that was awesome because the electric kettle, I think, is fantastic. I mean, that's the whole point. Um, and, then, and then the last one. I, 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 I can't believe of all the things that you do, and all the things you do so well, this is what would be the concern. But I, that's a whole separate conversation. Thank you for that. But my last one is just what I mean, one of your favorite conference memories from one of, you know, we've done many conferences, either on our own or together. But do you have any, you know, particular memories that, that stick out? So I think our, our the, 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 the birth of our podcast would be one of my favorites. And I, maybe because there's an animated video on it now, but I still remember that quite clearly. Um, the coming together of, you know, some really brilliant minds. I'm not even necessarily talking about you and me. That would be a bit arrogant, but our friends um, who helped us along the way and helped us formulate the idea of what it would look like and come up with names and things. It was a fantastic memory, but um, I can say, really that I just miss the whole experience of conferences. I miss learning something new. I miss the takeaways. I miss meeting people that I've only ever corresponded with, um, seeing old friends, making new friends, um, being able to make someone else's day by telling them how awesome I thought their session was and making a new friend out of that. Um, I just miss the whole experience. I miss overeating the food. I would never eat that much food during a normal day. <laughs> 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 everything yeah. about it what about you Lisa what do you miss about the conference experience well I miss all the things that you said it's it, it is it's always the way that you get to I mean I just like all the people in this community so much mm -hmm. so I miss getting to see them in person and getting to geek out on the topics for a while mm -hmm. and you know it really does it always just feels you know, like a reunion I mean I think a lot of us before you're leaving you're packing you're thinking oh god I have so much work to do or this is not a good week but the minute you get there, it's like, it, it just, you're just, it's a great place. And then I'm not mm -hmm. speaking about one versus the other. It's just such a, a positive, good feeling. One of my favorite specific memories and that I was just thinking about was when we were at National Harbor, I guess that was in 2019 outside Washington, D.C. And after dinner, we had the two of us take our pictures with all of the, um, with the different um, male, I think they were all men in the mm -hmm. in like brass, uh, bronze statues mm -hmm. from the different armed forces. So like right in the mm -hmm. middle of them with the two of us. And I just, I just kind of remember that moment because it was, you kind of were brought out into people on the street and people mm -hmm. were genuinely having fun. And it was also, you know, substantive and interesting and good people, but it just was kind of this moment of our community and it was just fun. So I had, a, when I kind of get a quick flicker of an image in my head, I kind of think about that. Um, mm. with some of our great women, but I, I, all the things you talk about, I, I, I miss that part of it. I miss the, the, the true sense of our community. So that running into people in the street, it reminds me a bit like, you know, living in a college town. So everyone, you know, wherever you go, if you've, you know, booked a dinner reservation near to the conference venue, there'll definitely be other people that, you know, sit, you know, attending as well. And, and going out for dinner at the same place and stopping each other and joining their table and so on. Um, that type of, that camaraderie and that sort of, you know, the feeling of being surrounded by community, I think sums it up for me. 
And and I think that's what you really described when you're talking about us getting the the photos with the dudes um, and and being out on the street and seeing everyone is it feels so good to be surrounded by people who have got the same cause as us, who are really trying to make a difference in the same way that we are and are experiencing the same challenges as us as well. There's something really nice about having people to commiserate with and having people to celebrate with when things have gone right. Well, and with that, I think, Mary, you just, you know, ending us on the perfect point to sign off for 2020. Um, I thank you for all your support to me personally and professionally. And on behalf of both of us, I'm thanking everybody for encouraging us, supporting us, the book, the podcast, messages for our community. And I know both of us are really looking forward to 2021 and Mm -hmm. hoping that we can all see each other somewhere soon and not see in air quotes. Um, I hope (laughs) everyone has a wonderful, let's take some breaks, some time off holiday season. Um, I hope you do that too, Mary. And thank you (laughs) for being here, for being the first quick. Thank you so much, Lisa. And happy holidays to everyone Please relax, recharge, and um, reach out to, to those who bring you joy. It's been our absolute pleasure to spend our time with you, and we thank you so much for your support. Take good care. Yeah. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Great Women in Compliance. We hope you'll join us in honoring the great women in the compliance field by subscribing to this podcast and leaving a review.